This is Solo Wake Up, the podcast, the podcast that's going to cover everything that's going on in the solar industry, storage industry, and beyond, and affects the professional lives of many of us. My name is Jan Brandt, your host and editor of the Daily Solar Newsletter. We have an amazing episode on deck today. I interviewed Dan Sugar, the CEO of Next Tracker, to talk about the company's huge success, top three position in global markets, and we talk about what it's like to have been in the solar industry over the past 30 years. But before we get to that, let's get to the news of the week. Great, great excitement last week around virtual power plants, one of the hottest topics in the solar industry. We had two types of virtual power plants that happened. One was what I call the software virtual power plant, Ohm Connect, a demand response uh, aggregation company based in Oakland, uh, raised $80 million from Sidewalk Labs, which is owned by Alphabet, the Google parent. And that $80 million is going to grow uh, an enormous amount of demand response uh, capability in the state of California. Another energy crisis like we've seen several times this year, several hundreds of millions of dollars of savings can be passed on, not just to the investors of the project, but the homeowners that participate uh, with Ohm Connect in that platform. We also had a new player come to town. Uh, virtual power plants for solar and storage businesses has been relatively monopolized by Sunrun and a little bit by uh, Sonova with a recent uh, ISO New England capacity auction. But Sunrun has been winning most of those transactions with the CCAs that we've seen in the Bay Area. Now there's Swell Energy, which raised $450 million from Aries Infrastructure, as well as Align Climate Capital, uh, which is led by Peter Davidson. Peter Davidson. Uh, was also the head of the loan guarantee program uh, in the latter years of the Obama administration. Uh, $450 million to fund 14,000 solar plus storage homes. Uh, the question that most insiders are asking themselves, is there enough pricing signal in the market in order for virtual power plants to go mainstream without something else happening? And that something else can be the FERC 222 order, which requires that behind the meter demand energy resources, DERs, are able to monetize? Or is it going to require a bilateral agreement with the utilities in which service area those 14,000 systems are installed in? The, the latter approach, the bilateral agreement with the utilities, is the approach that Sunrun has taken with, virtual power, with their virtual power plants in the past. Uh, there aren't enough pricing signals in the market that allow for demand response, the demand energy resources or distributed energy resources to monetize beyond just the electricity generation. Some have put $50 a year in terms of where the value is today, the monetizable value, uh, even though we know the value is a lot greater. Uh, the exits keep coming for solar companies, storage companies. SPACs obviously are the hot topic of the day. Uh, we've seen uh, last week, we saw STEM, uh, the energy storage uh, company based in Burlingame, uh, is going public with a SPAC, including a, an additional um, investment, uh, a pipe investment, as they call it. Uh, they're going out at a valuation of $1.35 billion, uh, and they're going to trade under the ticker STEM. This all happens very quickly because the company is the shell company that is acquiring them is already public. Um, and if you're tracking other SPACs that are interested in, in the space that we, you, you and me operate in, uh, 
David Crane and Mary Powell SPAC, which trades under CLII, uh, is up over 12% uh, as of as I'm talking here. Um, and that is without anything having been acquired. But the expectation is uh, that Crane and Powell obviously have a strong pipeline and possible uh, opportunities in order to do it. Uh, and if you look at, you know, Solar Edge worth 15 plus billion dollars, Enphase worth 18 billion dollars, uh, and Array Technologies, which recently went public, worth almost five billion dollars, um, Sunrun, Sonova, etc. All stocks are going through the roof. Uh, you can understand why the SPACs are interested in our space because with an incoming Biden administration, there's a lot of expectation uh, that additional policies uh, will not just will rapid, rapidly increase the amount of adoption that we're seeing, um, even though a lot of the fundamentals are not relying on what's going on in D.C. And then speaking of D.C., uh, President-elect Joe Biden is announcing his cabinet, his team. Uh, and when it comes to climate, this is going to be a big week for it. This is the week of December 14th. Uh, he's already announced Brian Deese to the International Economic Council, uh, where you know Brian Deese was core to the Paris Agreement writing in the, in the Obama administration, went to, went, went to Wall Street, but really worked on climate-related issues while on Wall Street. Uh, including what is the climate risk when you're investing in companies. Um, and then obviously, former Secretary of State and former Senator John Kerry as the president, presidential envoy on climate with a permanent seat on the National Security Council. The three things you want to watch for possibly this week are the appointment of the domestic climate coordinator. This is the person that's going to quarterback all of the agencies. Uh, making sure they're all on the same page and including climate in that debate. Uh, that is something to watch. There have been a few names uh, mentioned around this, including Governor Jay Inslee, who just got reelected, as well as former Governor uh, Granholm that, from Michigan, who was actually one of the, the leaders and one of the first to have domestic solar manufacturing in the state of Michigan while she was governor. Um, you're also going to look for the appointment of the administrator to the EPA is going to be a very controversial uh, pick regardless of who Joe Biden chooses because the Senate is very cognizant of the federalization of clean air and clean water, which has been legislated or has been uh, the judiciary has opined on um, under at the Supreme Court level. But it took uh, Gina McCarthy 136 days to become administrator or to be approved by the Senate to become administrator of the EPA. Um, but Mary Nichols from California, who recently stepped down as the uh, California Air Resources Board director, is a, an excellent choice. She understands uh, what is at stake and could be uh, the choice. So look for that, as well as the Secretary of Energy, mostly focused on what happens uh, with with nuclear issues, our, our, our nuclear arsenal plus nuclear cleanup and our nuclear power plant fleet, um, but also a lot of spending in R&D in the solar uh, and storage industries uh, through the, the Solar Energy Technologies Office, formerly SunShot. Um, so look for both the domestic, uh, the domestic climate coordinator, the EPA, and the Secretary of Energy to possibly be announced this week. Uh, with that, I want to go to 
the interview with Dan Sugar, we talk about a lot of things. One of the things you'll realize we did not talk about because it, it doesn't make sense to. Uh, Next Tracker is owned by a public company. Uh, there, are, there are some things that you just cannot talk about when you're a public company. There's a lot of Wall Street rumors of whether Next Tracker is going to become uh, get spun out by Flex, which is the, the company that purchased uh, Next Tracker uh, in 2015. We didn't talk about that. Uh, there wouldn't have been an answer, and it, and it doesn't make sense to bring that up. But what we did talk about is the 30 years of history that Dan and his team have had in the tracking industry. And I just spent two years in the racking industry on a residential side, and I've got to tell you, uh, I'm enamored by all things hardware in the solar space. Uh, look at the companies that are providing hardware. They are the backbone of this industry, as well as the solar installation and origination companies, the installers that are all over this country. Um, so it was an amazing conversation. It lasts almost 50 minutes, one of our longest podcasts ever, longest recordings ever. And we could have gone out for, for, for more hours. Um, definitely see uh, part two and part three in the near future. If you enjoy this podcast, you enjoy the news every day, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, solowakeup.com. Uh, please tell your friends about the newsletter and your colleagues, as well as this podcast, which you can find on all your streams. Uh, trying out this new thing of doing the top news on the top here. Um, if if that's uh, if you've got some feedback or you want us to address some questions, uh, we want to do this more. So Jan at solowakeup.com is how you can reach me. Uh, but with that, uh, here's the interview with Dan Sugar, the CEO of Next Tracker. Wake up, wake up, energy gotta wake up. Dan Sugar, welcome to Solo Wake Up. It's great to have you on today. Hey Jan, thank you very much for uh, the invitation. Yeah, no, it's great, and uh, you know, obviously. Uh, you're 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 quite the get for solo wake up and uh, you know a little bit of a you know and a double entendre here a rock star of the solar industry in more ways than one but um, for those that kind of haven't followed you uh, every day for the past 15 years kind of seeing what you've what you've accomplished uh, can you give like a little bit of a, a background of where you came from and how you ended up as uh, CEO of Next Tracker? Sure yeah I mean just you know, career, if you will, in a nutshell. Um, you know, I, I studied electrical engineering. Uh, I had the opportunity to work at PG&E back when PG&E was, uh, you know, doing amazing things like, uh, you know, had a, the, the world's largest um, utility R&D program. Uh, before I did that, I, I, I actually worked in traditional high voltage transmission planning and operations. And um, uh sort of put the idea out that um, we, we published a, a, a really deep paper to um, speak to a role for solar in the electric utility, uh, electric uh, distribution and transmission system and the benefits it could provide to the system beyond energy, beyond just clean energy. Um, so then I had the opportunity to work in the RD group there for five years with some amazing people. Um, yeah, and then went into the industry in 93, working for a thin film manufacturer for a few years, and then ultimately joined with um, uh, my former partner, Tom Dumwoody, uh, and we built this company called Powerlight, literally, literally from two people in a one-car garage to um, a company that was set to go public. We ended up, uh, nine years later, we ended up merging with SunPower in 2000, the beginning of 2007, uh, that we were like Dell, they were like... Um, Intel. Um, through that whole time, we'd been really focused on trackers. I mean, we had done, uh, my, my colleague at PG&E, Howard Wenger, had done a lot of analysis 
on the value of trackers and especially horizontal single axis trackers being the killer app. We published an algorithm in 1991 called the backtracking algorithm, which then served as the um, uh, kind of a, the first intelligent algorithm in solar trackers uh, that was pretty much adopted at scale. Um, and then uh, before leaving PG&E in 93, we built the largest system of the decade, I think, in the Americas, which was a whopping 650 kilowatt system to validate this idea of PV in the grid. Uh, but then when went over to um, Powerlight with Tom, Tom had pioneered a lot of um, roof technology, in particular solar roofing. Um, he basically invented the whole category of lightweight interlocking roofing assemblies with no attachment to the building, uh, which was unbelievable. But a lot of our customers really need more energy than we could get off the roof. So starting in uh, with projects in Hawaii, I was like, hey, we should do this tracker thing we've been working on back at PG&E. Uh, I had my own design. I developed with a guy named Ron Matlin, a, um, a single axis tracker, but there's a guy named Jeff Shingleton that had a, a, a better design than ours because of where it was actually a link row design where the state of controllers and things like that were. So we licensed Jeff's design. We commercialized single axis tracking in the industry starting in the late nineties. We didn't invent it, but we, we commercialized it. Starting in the late nineties and then two thousands. And then we were building a lot of one megawatt systems in California. We ended up building this, um, the world's first 10 megawatt project and it was located over in Germany in 2004. Tom did develop that project. So we, we had an amazing run and, um, you know, which culminated in, uh, instead of going public in 2007, we, we merged with SunPower. And so we had all the systems know-how sort of like Dell um, and they were Intel, they made uh, solar cells and a little bit of panels. We made panels and a lot of systems. So that was a great merger. The industry was at a very uh, early stage. You could think of that sort of Henry T doing vertical integration, you know, in automotive with the Model T. That's what the industry needed then. And then we basically knocked a lot of costs out. We developed an exemplary experience. We kind of built that up for a while. I stayed a few years. Uh, and we kind of beat our numbers for, um, you know, we were doing two thirds of the revenue of all some power, the systems business. I ended up leaving, um, taking a sabbatical. And then instead of going back, I, I joined a company called Solaria as CEO. We were innovating on uh, advanced module design. Solaria is still, well, still alive and doing well with great people. Um, and uh, it really advanced the shingled module idea in there, in Solaria, basically we needed a tracker. So I went back because of the optics of the panel. It's a low concentration panel. So we went back to SunPower. We tried to do a deal with SunPower to get my old tracker back, which we had commercialized from Jeff Shingleton. And uh, it, they weren't just, they just weren't set up to do that. They had a good tracker for their own uses. We tried buying trackers from others in the industry, providing those customers. And we just weren't able to deliver the cost position, the quality, the reliability, and customer satisfaction. So we clean sheeted a tracker. And Next Tracker co-founder Alex L came over, joined us at Solaria. We ended up spinning out a separate business in 2013. And, and uh, basically, two years, less than two years later, our goal was to be number one. In three years, we accomplished it in two. 
Um, and uh, we spun out Next Tracker from Solaria in 2013, and then uh, actually merged with Flex less than two years later. So uh, that's the whole damn thing in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's and you know what? It's every stage you're telling a story where you know I've been in solar since '06, and it's like I remember that, and I remember that, and um, you know the interesting thing about Solar Wake Up is all of these. 10 megawatt things that you were doing and involved in tangentially that there was a newsletter on Sunday nights that would come out called solar buzz. And it was everyone's press release. And, and, you know, at the time I was selling 25 kilowatt systems and I felt like I was losing because everyone was doing one megawatt, five megawatt. Um, but it's, it's, it's great to hear it from your point. And actually, you know, I think it was like 08, 09 um, when Nextera FPL in Florida, I was at the ribbon cutting with, uh, with when Obama came for the 25 megawatt single axis tracker in DeSoto, Florida, Right. which I think they bought, it ended up being in, in one of the rate cases for like six fifty or $7 a watt. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah. It, it was quite, it was quite the, uh, quite the system, but it was. Yeah. You know. Howard, Howard and I, Howard and I signed that contract with Florida power and light at the time. I yeah. think it was, I think it was FPL, not Nextera. Maybe it was. Yeah, it was FPL. Yeah, it was, it was FPL. It was. It was. Yeah, there was another. Of, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, I was going to say it was part of 110 megawatt. They did a 10 megawatt, a 25, and then 75 of uh, Ausra type uh, concentrating thermal uh, connected to a, a gas plant where they somehow I don't think that part had a happy ending. It did not. It, it's. I think it's still there, but it's running at like 20 percent. Um, but that's great. Yeah, but I mean, we did the. You mentioned the 10, we did that also the 10 megawatt at, I think it was Cape Canaveral as part of that transaction. Too. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you, you had the 35 and there was a lot of Floridians very jealous of, of you know, the hot shots coming out of California, uh, coming, coming to do the work. Um, but yeah, no, Howard, you know, you mentioned Howard Wenger a few times, he and I sit on the board of CALSA together and, you know, he's obviously now, funny enough, uh, president of, of, of Solaria, which yeah. makes the, you know, really, really nice, high efficiency, very beautiful solar module for the primarily the resi market. So it's uh, right. You're sort of still working together, and 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 absolutely, yeah. When we're very engaged in policy, I mean, you know, we've carried a lot of policy water over the years. Um, Howard, you know, had a huge role in net metering, um, and uh, you know, we've been triangulating on uh, these things, um, you know, for thirty three years together in solar. And, you know, that's kind of where, you know, at Next Tracker, um, these relationships are really important in the stability of the teams and the, the um, uh, level of professionalism we can deliver to customers and, and also to the industry and, and policy and help things move forward. We, we, do, we just calculated this actually at, beyond at, at Next Tracker. The average solar experience on our executive team is 20 years. That's incredible. I mean, it's, it, it really is. And, uh, you know, 2020 has had this, and, and I want to talk about it because, uh, and maybe you can give us some reference of scale. You had a, you're, you're one of the great LinkedIn posters. Uh, you have some of the greatest content of merging uh, current events with historical events. Um, and, you know, 2020, I think, has had this amazing, in some ways, solar has become real in a way that other people believe it, not just you and me and everyone working in it. Um, but you wrote something, it's maybe a year ago, it was about bifacial modules 
at, at uh, I believe Nellis Air Force Base. Um, and you gave a quant, you gave a scale of uh, basically talking about what your, how much solar you were thinking about doing 20 years ago versus how much you do before lunch each day in terms of manufacturing. <laughs> Um, you know, can you yeah. talk about like what was PowerLight in 05? Like, what was your what would have been the home run year in terms of megawatts, and compare that to what the scale is today, just for what you're working on? Right. So yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, we did this. What we what we signed the we did the world's first 10 megawatt project. Okay, in 2004, and it was in Germany on a single axis tracker. It was our linked row single axis tracker. Uh, we licensed that technology from Jeff Shingleton about four, four or five years before uh, we commercialized it. It was about our first project in Europe, our first project at a thousand volts, our first project that used the uh, a one megawatt inverter in a box, <laughs> uh, which was a Siemens inverter. I personally went to the plant um, and we signed that thing and, you know, it was existential. If we didn't, if we didn't complete that project by the end of the year, um, we were, uh, bad things would have happened to the company. We probably wouldn't have survived. Um, we also took, uh, we were sourcing those panels out of the U S, uh, from Sharp and pretty much took almost the whole output of the plant, the Memphis plant they had. So it was very on the edge. I mean, basically we, we had this amazing project manager. His name is Marco Miller, who, you know, was out there in the, it was snowing in, and it was Christmas in Germany. Okay. And they take Christmas seriously in Germany. He had these, he had these guys out in the field. It was so dark at noon from the snow that the, the workers were wearing lights on their helmets. That's that you need lights on your helmets to work. That's how heavily it was snowing. And he had these trucks out there every day with, you know, food and beer and, just to keep these guys going. I mean, stuff we were never doing about. And he, he got it done. And what was really um, gratifying is that plant consistently overperformed. Um, and we, we basically beat our expectations on the power of that plant. Marco Miller is with us today. Um, you know, he and I have worked together almost 20 years now. He's our you know, senior vice president of operations at Next Tracker, and so that's what I'm talking about. That type of exemplary experience, getting it done, getting it done for the customer, and and you know, I still I'm still keeping tabs on some of these projects, how they're performing, like one or two companies later. You know, I mean, we were very proud of that, and then we set up that set us up to do. Um, uh, uh, so, just quick story on innovation. So. We did that project. It was um, about $60 million, 10 megawatts peak. So $6 a watt in that year. Um, and uh, the feed-in tariff in Germany was going down uh, year after year. So we needed to do something uh, to drive the cost down. And um, we got together with the whole project team, including our subcontractors. And we, we were looking at the project and we were just sitting around brainstorming. What can we do to lower the cost of the install cost of the system and drive down the LCOE? And actually the idea came from our subcontractor. They were, the name of the company was called Max Bogle. And there was a great guy there, I can't remember his name, but he said, look, we're doing all these foundations. And what, was the, what we were doing is essentially we were augering a foundation, old school, setting a post, and then building a trust, have it at the right place, filling it with concrete, 
and then hand troweling the concrete to make sure that the water didn't uh, accumulate at the base of the concrete foundation, which would have rusted it. And they said, you should look at what we're doing, how we install highway guardrails. And they said, we have this machine which vibrates these posts into the ground, uh, which became like the driven pier. And so we love that idea. We built the next year Bavaria Solar 2. So we built Bavaria Solar 1, 10 megawatts in 2004. We built Bavaria Solar 2 the next year. We pioneered this idea of this driven pier in solar with this uh, support of our subcontractor, Max Bogle, and it worked beautifully. And so then we uh, imported that technology in the United States. Today, virtually everyone's doing driven peers. And so unless you have a very difficult site. So what it did was it took the cost per foundation from about $350, uh, including materials to today, it's about $80, including materials um, uh, done and installation. So we were, you know, that was one of the innovations that came out of that at the time. And um, anyway, uh, I, I, uh, I hope that's yeah, no, I mean, but so those are two, those are two 10 megawatt size projects. Um, yeah. Like what's the scale today? Like if, if how many megawatts can you manufacture? Right. So the, yeah, actually the post you mentioned, so we did, yeah, we did Nellis. So Nellis was the biggest project in the U.S. at the time. Um, there was DeSoto and then we did Nellis and Nellis was, uh, I think, well, maybe we did Nels first. I, I actually lost track. Uh, it was kind of 2006, 2007, something like that. Yeah, Nels first, I think. Yeah, so it was 14 megawatts. And the the price of the project was $102 million. <laughs> so that's $7.02 a watt. It was the largest project in the U.S. And, um, you know, we we worked on that. It used a, 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 a tilted tracker, um, which we invented a power light. That was 100% uh, our design. Uh, we, we, it's a one axis tracker, but at, a, at an angle. And we had this very clever uh, on that one, a ballasted foundation, which had its place at, at the industry for uh, many projects. But today that, 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 I don't think that would pencil out that particular design. But um, yeah, we worked all year basically to get that project done. And I remember flying out to the site, we were way behind schedule. We got the whole team together, almost like a football huddle type thing. And I told, I, I said, you know, folks, we are behind schedule. We're in deep trouble. All eyes are on us. We have to pull this out. We have to get this done. And we did. We got it done. So, but, you know, it was one of these right down to the wire type of projects. So, yeah, that 14 megawatts we worked all year on. I mean, you know, like I was saying, we do, you know, uh, on a typical week, we're doing one of those before breakfast, another one before lunch, another one before dinner, and maybe even another one overnight. I mean, that's the scale we're at. I mean, we're doing... Uh, you know, uh, I, you know, four or five hundred megawatts in 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 you know in some weeks uh, where that kind of capacity is going out. So it's, you know, it's it's. I mean, just my life goal when I first saw solar in in the Altamont Pass in 1988. We were up there uh, when I was, you know, I was like looked out on this huge, the world's largest wind farm. At that time, it's 500 megawatts, as far as you could see in like all directions. I'm like, wow, I hope, I hope I can achieve something like this in solar in my career. And you know, now we're doing that every week. I mean, it's like really this is crazy stuff. And you know, the thing I, I've said this many times, the thing that you know I've consistently um, uh, um, 
uh, gotten wrong in my career is I've always underestimated the growth potential. And so, you know, I mean, now we're doing projects. It's a matter of public record. We're doing the Daywa 5 project with Aqua over in uh, Dubai. And, you know, at like price, it's like well under two cents a kilowatt hour. Like that's crazy, under $20 a megawatt hour. I mean, these are nuts, these numbers. And so it's, you know, we what we've done is taken on the biggest industry. We are, you know, the solar industry and well, us together. What we've done is we've taken on the, you know, the biggest industry in the world, which is the energy industry, the power industry in particular. We've turned it on its head. We're generating power at a fraction of the cost of um, any new fossil resource, period. We're even less than the marginal cost of generating of many existing fossil resources that are already written off and many nuclear resources. So, you know, I think, you know, if you look, uh, let's say the US, you know, coal, I, I had the pleasure of serving on the board of the Sierra Club and we really went after the, the coal industry hard with good success by making that, sure that, you know, they had to comply with clean air and clean water standards. Um, so, you know, what, what's happened in 10 years since that program started is, uh, you know, it's coal is part of national generation due to both technological innovation and the, the work Sierra Club and others have done has dropped from 53% of the grid to like, you know, I think it's less than 20 today. And people, you know, I, you know, personally, I think within even as short as five years, most of that'll be gone. I think we'll be down to 5% uh, within five to seven years um, and zero with, you know, another few years after that. And so, you know, that's, that's being replaced by energy efficiency, by gas to a degree, uh, and by renewables with wind and solar. And so yeah. we have a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and those, the nuclear plants are gonna keep dying like flies over a hot fire. And we have, a, a, there's, that's a lot of gigawatt hours to make up. And we have a tremendous opportunity to, you know, um, fulfill that demand with solar and wind and uh, creating a lot of clean jobs and saving customers a lot of money. And those are the messages I hit. You know, yeah. I, I believe in global warming, but I don't talk about it. What I'm talking about is save customers money, more jobs and uh, 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 creating, you know, basically a whole industry around this with and creating clean air. Yeah. You said something really interesting about underestimating uh, the, the market. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for some of us that have been around for a long time, it, it, it's, it, that's sort of the blinders we, we carry, right? Because we used to believe, you know, we, I mean, and it was, right? To, to achieve a one megawatt, a five megawatt, a 10 megawatt was a big deal like that. Yeah. And, and in some ways, it's hard to recalibrate our minds to say, oh, I'm going to go visit the one of the multiple one gigawatt power plant, you know, solar farms that are under construction in the world. It's, it's a recalibration that maybe some of the people that are entering the solar market today are, will, will view as normal. What, is there anything, you know, given that you've been around the space for so long, what would you, is there anything you would have done different had you had someone been like, no, Dan, you, you're you're underestimating where this is going to go. Uh, here, here's the type of scale you're thinking about. What would you have changed? Well, I first I appreciate the questions you ask because you they're grounded in uh, credibility, solar cred, Jan, because you've you've gone out and you've done these things, and so I, I really appreciate the line of questioning. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to reflect. I like looking back and thinking about decisions we'd made. And given the quality of the information we had, did we make the right decision? So I, I do reflect on that. 
Um, a lot of great companies have come out of with these people we had. I mean, we the team was unbelievable. Uh, now we've got a number of those key players with us at Next Tracker, and um, you know I'm really excited about you know uh, the things that are happening. I mean, you know, you take something like, hey, uh, come on, the Tracker is this thing. This concept's been around for 40 years, right? What can you really do with it? Well, you could say the same thing about a car. I mean, look at what Tesla has done with an automobile, right? I mean, it's a mobility device. The thing is, it's incredible what yeah. happens. They keep updating the car, make it smarter. That's what we're doing in X-Tracker. So we've we've right. developed a whole range of these innovations, which essentially get more energy out of these plants and um, make the plants easier to operate, make them safer. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples, if I may. So um, we always knew that the best way to, operate solar is not necessarily keeping the panels perpendicular to the sun. I mentioned the backtracking algorithm we authored in 1991, okay, like on the shoulders to keep, you know, to make sure the the, the modules don't shadow each other. Well, that was a, that's a great design for a system that's perfectly constructed on perfectly level terrain in a perfectly sunny environment, but that was, that's not the real world. So we know that if the ground is undulating or hilly, you know, you, you want to sort of adjust the angle of each row relative to its neighbor. You can only do that in an individually uh, independent row tracker. So we, we always knew that potential. We, and we also knew that in a diffuse day or cloudy day, or, a, you know, what we've seen is a lot of, of the, you know, very incredible, you know, extreme weather with smoke from all these fires or volcanic eruptions and those kinds of things. If the air quality is impaired, you want to keep the panels more toward horizontal, the degree of which depends on what we call the diffuse fraction index. So we always knew those things would get more energy out of the plant, but we didn't have the um, underlying uh, uh, control system and, and hardware and individualized control until we had launched this platform with Next Tracker, where each row has its own you know, motor and drive and inclinometer, and we have a, a high quality weather instrumentation distributed on the site. So we implemented that in with machine learning algorithm. We actually purchased a machine learning company uh, about three and a half years ago and we to complement our software team. So we did that. Uh, so a year and a half ago, we had a customer in and um, he was really um, upset because one of his plants, not on an extractor system, but on a, a different uh, platform had been catastrophically uh, damaged with hail. So out in Texas, uh, for the severity of hail has increased very significantly with a, a warning um, climate. And, uh, you know, basically the hail, uh, when the hailstones get over two inches, they will break solar panels if the panels are near horizontal. So, um, I said, you know, I think we can come up with a solution for that. So we we worked out a technology where using our true capture and NX navigator control system, the operator can receive uh, the right information about incoming hail and with a single button activate one switch and in parallel all the trackers and like a like a choreographed symphony will be uh, you know the speed of our tracker is very responsive. So uh, within a minute, they'll all be at 60 degrees. We did a bunch of lab tests that shows that um, the panels don't break with hail. And yeah. so as a result of that, you know, insurance costs have like tripled over the last 
um, few years on these plants. And, um, you know, there's, there's laws. So this is like innovation. So I, that was um, just an example. And we've got a bunch of these examples we're doing. And so we keep upgrading through software, just like Tesla's doing with their car. We keep upgrading the firmware on these plants and making them smarter for our customers. So it's very exciting. You know, yeah, and, and I mean, let's kind of take that excitement and and the growth that this market has taken, and and there's been some interesting things, and obviously everyone that's listening knows your uh, your you Next Tracker was acquired by Flex. Flex is a public company, and we're we're we'll stay away from. We're gonna not get you in trouble with anything on investor relations, but I I wonder if you personally have. You know, Array Technologies went public. Obviously, you know the company well. You've known you know trackers as well as anyone in, in, in the space. Would it like they're valued at something like five billion dollars today? Is that like does that blow your mind the way that it, like to me? I I I can't not them, but like Enphase, Solar Edge. You name the public companies. The valuations that finally people are understanding about the market growth and the opportunity for the space. And really, the fact that the the there's a uh, inherent value being created for like the base hardware that's keeping that's enabling solar electricity to be generated um, is that something you ever expected? Well, first, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's not just Array, but also um, uh, in China, Arctech uh, is a tractor company. They went public, and in Spain. Soltech went public and they were the first IPO on the Madrid exchange in a long time. Yeah. So you have three companies out there and they've all done, I mean, uh, uh, Arctech did really well, multi-billion dollar valuation. And so I think it's, you know, really a testament to, um, you know, both the solar industry and our slice in the industry and the tracker side that investors are really uh, interested in this. And so, um, you know, that's, uh, so the, uh, the idea that investors are interested in solar technology companies is, you know, that's, that's not a new idea. That's been around, that's proven. I think what's happening now is that um, also we've had so much activity in the ESG, you know, environmental sustainable and governance uh, investing situation where um, over $20 trillion has migrated from non-screened investments, meaning investors are just, you know, they might invest in funds that are just setting out to maximize yield to where they're screening out things like, you know, that aren't consistent with their value system, like tobacco or firearms or coal or, you know, other bad generation, okay? Um, and, and things that are detrimental to the planet. So we, we definitely have tailwinds with that. Um, and it's, it's great. I mean, we need, Look, uh, our, we're in a race, our industry against, you know, what's these forces that are really negatively impacting our air and our water and our climate. And we need as many strong solar companies as possible across the value chain. Trackers, yes. Solar panels, yes. Electronics, yes. Great EPC partners, yes, and finance companies, yes. And so we need we need all of that in order to further accelerate our transition where renewable energy is the largest form of, of power, period. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very gratified by, you know, the success of, of companies in, in attracting public capital and more private capital. I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, private equity firms, we're seeing these SPACs, there's something like 40 SPACs. I mean, it's unbelievable with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars each and the ability to lever those up to billions. And a lot of them have an environmental focus. So it's, it's extremely gratifying. And, you know, this capital is a great thing. You know, in the absence of any, you know, federal uh, uh, policy to, you know, support renewables um, or encourage renewables. And, you know, uh, while, while there's been a lot of activity to try to, you know, subsidize the, um, you know, incumbent and obsolete industries like coal and nuclear, um, you know, it's, it's great to see all this private capital. We need that. We'd be in a really bad place without it. But that, the reason all the capital's coming is, you know, make no mistake, is that companies are generating profit. And we're generating profit because the fundamentals work. And the fundamentals work because, like I was saying with the, the aqua example, where, you know, so, you know, solar is under two cents a kilowatt hour, whereas, you know, uh, coal, you know, gas might be at five and coal might be at, you know, eight to 10 and nuclear might be at 12 to 15. I mean, you know, that's no joke. So what, what, what I'm really excited about is, you know, where we go from here in terms of how these renewables continue integrating into the grid. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the intersection of wind and solar because they make power at different times um, and in different places. Like on the Eastern seaboard, there's uh, finally the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Uh, you know, I, I saw today um, a number of the key uh, permits and entitlements were advanced for seven, I believe, offshore wind projects. You know, there could be many tens of gigawatts built on the eastern seaboard, uh, serving load centers that are hard to serve directly with solar, and uh, but you know, really uh, bolstering that part of the grid. You know, and you know, working um, uh, in concert with solar that is developed in the northeast, the mid Atlantic region, and the southeast. And so these things together, you know, it's one plus one equals more than two situation with solar and wind as they, as they relate to the grid. And then we can right size the storage as, as those things go to go in there. So, yeah. I, you know. Yeah, and we're, and we're, and we're going to, and we're going to need all of it. I think, uh, you know, you just had an audience with a, with a Senate committee to talk about your ideas. Um, you know, and that's, that's people, people can see that on, on YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes, but uh Given an audience with the, the incoming White House, uh, the Biden administration, trade representatives, you know, there's a carry as the foreign diplomat covering climate, there's going to be a, a domestic climate uh, coordinator. What, what would you, you're, you're at the center, right? You're the intersection of all these things, plus decades of experience and decades more of executives on your team. What, what are you telling uh Policymakers, especially with the White House having, you know, quite a bit of executive power uh, that can impact the, the the space. Yeah, well, I was greatly um, appreciative of of the Solar Energy Industries Association asking me to serve as the, you know, the expert witness there on that that Senate subcommittee hearing, and folks can read our testimony and prepared remarks um, on the nexttracker.com uh, website under, there's a blog there, you, and it's all, it's all posted there. 
I use that opportunity. I spoke with a lot of um, industry leaders, uh, both on the manufacturing side, on the EPC side, and on the finance side, like, and and work with the CIA, uh, a very uh, great team there to sort of congeal our message. Like, what are the what are the big points? So the the purview of the committee was really public lands. So we we started with that, and then we moved on to, you know, sort of a prioritized list of of other items. So in the context of the public lands piece, you know. Uh, the Bureau of Land Management (BLM) actually has the um, the largest um, uh, scope. I mean, it's hundreds of millions of acres under their control, and virtually no lease, very few leases. Uh, there's one project in Nevada uh, called the Gemini Project, and a few others, but um, it just really hasn't happened in the last four years. And part of the the reason for that is the rules are broken. They they um, have a, the, a bizarre system for establishing what the the rent value should be that is is really focused on mineral extraction, which are the roots of that subcommittee, uh, Natural Resources Committee. And so it's like we're making the point: look, this isn't about extracting anything out of the ground. It's about you know harvesting the sunlight that's going to fall. So we we basically had a very common sense: look, let's just make the lease rates. Um, we can establish an appropriate value based on what grazing grazing lease costs are in these areas. I mean, it's, it's just a very expedient way to do that. And a few other things with the, the public lands. Then we moved on and said, okay, um, let's speak to other things, you know, we can do. Uh, the first thing, the biggest issue, uh, you know, we, we were uh, focused on was um, there's an absence or, or a lack of tax equity uh, for all the projects that could use in the United States. So we proposed, you know, a direct pay um, for the uh, investment tax credit um, so that uh, that's a, a bipartisan supported, you know, tax credits are bipartisan supported policy measure, which has worked really well and has been very well vetted. So we said, okay, that's good, but you know, there's 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 limited tax app, appetite related to COVID and other things. So why don't we um, do that? We talked about then extending the ITC uh, by several years um, at its current current rate uh, because of you know uh, you know we're able to create these jobs. I mean, the utility sector in particular has we've really been able to continue this work in a safe way and has grown really strong. Um, course other sectors residential etc but let's continue this this ITC at its current rate uh, we talked about you know the tariffs on solar panels are just way too high uh, in the US um, a solar panel in the US shouldn't cost 75 percent more than the same solar panel in the rest of the world you know that's that just has to be addressed right. um, we spoke about you know uh, through executive order even um, you know, the largest energy consumer in the U.S. is the federal government. And, you know, since solar's cheaper than, <laughs> you know, incumbent power, we should, you know, basically go there. And we, we actually quantified, we said, CIA's goal was get the U.S. to 20% renewable or 20% solar by uh, 2030. So we, we did the math on that. And uh, it's, it's quite achievable from a built scenario. What would that? What would the cost be? Well, it actually save U.S. Uh, ratepayers, you know, homeowners and 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 companies uh, over ten billion dollars per year 
in energy costs, even at today's cost of solar, uh, as their uh, public data showing the contracts are being signed for. So there's no subsidy there. It's basically a um, it's a real opportunity to save. So we we hit all those points and a few more. And again, that's all on the nexttracker.com website. Yeah. So we're 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 going to have to wrap up here in a few minutes. But uh, let let's do some quick predictions because uh, I think we've now uh, have you realize that you've always underestimated the market. So maybe this will result result in you making some really bold predictions. Um, what do you th- what 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 is the biggest solar market in the world in twenty twenty five? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, the U.S. I mean, the U.S. is I, so. Well, the, the biggest market today is China. Um, do I think that continues, or you know, uh, is the U.S. or overseas? Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, but what I'm confident here's the way I would answer that question is, you know, we were very active in like uh, I don't know three countries, let's say five years ago. Today we're very active in 30 countries. So I would respond and saying. Let's not worry about which market is the biggest, but let's 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 really focus on you know solar being being you know in the gigawatt scale in you know uh, you know fifty countries. Okay, so for me, it's about how do we serve you know a a a global need for solar where real markets are happening all over, and uh, you know um, that to me would be what where my thought process would go for that question. I like it. Right. Let's rate, let's raise the median here. Um, what year do you think will no longer have standalone solar farms without storage? I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, I, I, I get that the value and I think it's great and the costs are dropping like a rock in, in storage. Um, there's value doing it in solar farms, you know, co-locating, but there's, logic, there's a lot of other ways to solve that problem with, uh, you know, intermittency and the, and the diurnal impact and, you know, what, when solar is being generated. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in, in load control in the homes. Um, I have a water heater in my home that uses an electric heat pump. Mm-hmm. People don't realize, you know, it's, it's not a gas water heater. It's not an electric, it's not an electric resistive heater. It's a, it's a heat pump. And you can schedule that and you can buy this appliance at Home Depot for, or, you know, another store for, you know, $1,500 and over its life that that single appliance will save you over $5,000 in energy costs today. Well, you can schedule that device. I mean, I, I programmed the device um, to preheat the water um, and not be on from three o'clock, you know, basically I just reduced the, the, the water temperature slightly from 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. Okay, that's all I had to do. It's basically just I have it 130 degrees the rest of the time, and then you know 120 degrees from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. during or nine whatever it is during the the utility peak. So that thing's offline. So I think you know, do we have storage at every single utility plant? I, I don't see that. I think there's places where that makes sense, and places where. Um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't make sense where maybe people are using load control in homes or using, you know, uh, I think electric mobility is really gonna go, that's another thing that's gonna go vertical in terms of uh, the market, because I think what's gonna happen very soon is that 
um, the first cost of an electric car is going to be lower than an internal combustion car. We yeah. already know the operating costs a lot lower and the charging stations are getting built out, you know, very quickly. So when that happens, um, we're going to see um, an explode, you know, a tremendous um, growth in the electric cars. And then, you know, everybody's already now got as, uh, you know, a, a huge battery. I mean, you're, you're, you know, Tesla or whatever has a hundred kilowatt hours. I mean, that's an enormous yeah. amount of storage. And so you yeah. could easily allocate 20 kilowatt hours out of that car for, you know, your home. I mean, I can tell you at Next Tracker, we incentivized customer, uh, employees to, um, uh, uh, on top of a, a, a federal uh, incentive, we provided a few thousand dollars in charging state, free charging stations that are solar powered with our, our field. And, you know, we have 30% of our workforce um, driving electric into work. And so right. I think it's, you know, it's, I think that is kind of where that goes, not like every, so every utility farm has a, has a battery. Yeah, it makes sense. And and we wrote, I, I wrote about the, uh, our friends at Ohm Connect having raised $80 million for the virtual power plant. Um, you know, I can, that that's a tens of billions of dollar opportunity, I think, to just load control, right? I think it just makes too much sense. Um, and then uh, last solar questions before we get to the real important one. Uh, we're 100 gigawatt market roughly this year, you know, probably a little bit more. Uh, 2030 prediction uh, from Dan Sugar on the size of the global solar market. Well, I, well, thanks for the question. Uh, I, I would need to sort of put a pen to paper to just, you know. Oh, just go with your gut here. I want, I want to hear the gut. Is it, is it double, triple? Like, where, oh, where? much, much more than that. I mean, you know, I, I one would uh, look, I mean, you know, you start extrapolating numbers with, you know, 25, 30%. 40% annually compounded growth, you know, start thinking about the fundamentals to where we are. I mean, you know, clearly, you know, you get to, you know, much larger than doubling or tripling. So, you know, and I, because I think, you know, it's classic economic theory. It's, you know, um, you know, supply and demand. And when the, you know, the, the elasticity as you, as you cross over with a substitute commodity. So a great customer of ours, you know, showed this picture. There's this classic picture that shows, an intersection in New York City, and there's a picture, I can't remember the year, but it shows um, there's one automobile in the picture and it, and all the rest are horses and buggies, okay? And then eight years later, there's one horse and buggy and all the rest are automobiles, eight in eight years. And so I think that's kind of what's happening, <laughs> okay? And we're in the middle of that um, with the power sector. I'm, I'm going to bring you to my next investor meeting where they question if I say, you know, the market is going to grow at 20% Kager uh, and they look at me sideways and think I'm crazy. I'm going to bring you into that meeting so that they just believe uh, because you and I are on the same page. All right. Last question. Uh, and this, this should be an easy one for you. Uh, we 2020 has been a strange, weird, you know, in some ways awful year. Uh, and one of the things that happened is, you know, obviously we missed out on Solar Battle of the Bands, one of your one of your favorite events, I would presume. Um, how big should Solar Battle of the Bands be when we can all go do it in person again? Well, I can tell you what we did, you know, uh, two years ago. I mean, the um, we supported Kelsa with, you know, their, that was their one of their fundraiser events, and so 
um, you know, they reached out and asked if we wanted to engage. I said, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it in a, in a proper space. So we actually rented the Warfield, which I is, remember, I think the best venue in Northern California. So we, we had 2,200 people there. So I think, you know, that, that felt about right. <laughs> and so, you know, when we can bring a few thousand people into a wonderful historic building and, you know, enjoy a lot of um, each other's company conversations, great food and and drink and some some uh, actually fantastic music. Music, actually, my favorite part of that event was um, so we did a a, a set I, um, after the Solar Battle. The bands um, we did a set with my my band, and then we served as kind of a rhythm section. And uh, we 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 put together a we called it the uh, interconnection event, Solar Interconnection event, and we basically uh, hosted thirteen musical artists with no rehearsals, <laughs> we basically uh, had people sending us like, uh, we, we pr proposed some songs and had people uh, sitting in at various sections with their instruments and verses. And, and that whole thing is available uh, if folks wanna see it on, on YouTube, just, um, just uh, type in something like Warfield, uh, uh, Solar Battle of Bands or Interconnectors or, or something like that. And uh, it'll pop up. And you'll see yeah. the, we did a montage of all these great artists that sat in with us. And so for me, that's kind of a metaphor for what we need to do here with all these different companies working together and, um, you know, uh, uh, collaborating on policy and so forth is sort of work together in a synchronized way to create something beautiful and, you know, uh, creates a nice, um, uh, you know, uh, sustenance for our families and economic outcome, but, but leaves the world a better place for our kids. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll put all of that in the in the in the show notes. Uh, Dan Sugar, CEO of Next Tracker, thanks for everything that you do and have done for the space in the industry and continued success at everything you're doing. Next Tracker, appreciate you coming on today. Hey, John, thanks. That was that was just fabulous. I really appreciate the questions.